Good morning. Am I, can you guys hear me? What a blessing this morning, amen? Wasn't that some good singing? You, know, you guys sound really good um, back there, so I appreciate that. I always feel sorry for the person right directly in front of me, um, which would be Enoch today, so I apologize, Enoch, that you had to hear me in your ear today. What a privilege it is to be back today. You know, I was just thinking this morning, um, this is the first time I've preached at the same church twice in the same month. So this may be, um, may be a good recognition today of why that doesn't happen. So I'm not sure. A little joke there. So today I want to pick up on where the Lord has been directing us. Remember with Merlin's sabbatical, I've had nine months to pray about this five-week section of time where the, God, where the Lord's allowing me to have this privilege to share. And as we look down this path of talking about our homes, talking about our families, last week, which Jerry alluded to a little bit this morning, we talked about how uh, in Matthew 6, we have to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to us, making sure that our focus was truly on who Jesus is, what he has done for us. And remember, we, we looked at Revelations chapter 2, 1 through 7, and we looked at this church at Ephesus that was doing so many great things, but in the midst of that, they had abandoned or left their first love. You guys remember that from last week? And we learned that from that, we need to get back on board with allowing Jesus to be everything. Amen? And we looked at the verses there in Mark 12, 29 through 31, where the Bible says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with your mind, and with your strength. This is the first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. For there's no other commandment greater than these. 1 John 4, 19 says we love him because he first loved us. And the challenge last week was that we have to be loving him first, that Jesus has to be first in our life. And that was really the, the first leg in this five-leg journey as we walk towards the family. And so today we're gonna be looking at a few different things and again, another leg as we get to next Sunday, we're going to be talking about fathers, or excuse me, husbands. The week after will be on wives, and the week after that will be on children. So make sure all the children, that's not the day to miss, okay? It'll be exciting. I promise. It'll be exciting. So if you guys would just continue to pray uh, for me and for us as a church, because I believe God led us to this for a reason, right? We need revival in our home. Right? One thing we talked about last week is that if the devil is really going to destroy a church, he's going to do that by destroying the home. Right? And we need to understand what we're up against. We need to know what our roles and our responsibilities are. And in the midst of that, we have to be able to say yes and amen to that. So that's the direction we're headed today. So today we're going to look at um, God's order. Um, we're going to look at it before the fall, after the fall, what happened, how do we change, how do we deal with that? And I'm going to use a word today that our culture doesn't like, and I'm going to use a term called male headship. And basically what I mean by that is that in God's order, he's ordained that the husband or the, the, the husband is to lead, the wife is to be uh, subjected to him or submissive to him, then the children are under that. God is a God of order. And I think it's one of the foundational things that we have to have solidified in our minds because as we look to the New Testament next week in Ephesians 5, in our roles as husbands, if we don't truly understand what our role, uh, how, it, how we got to that point, what it looked like early on, how God has established order, and again, we can't be looking to our culture for how this looks, right? Do you think our culture has it figured out? Absolutely not. And the struggle with that is our culture 
it seeps into the church, right? It does. We spend all week out there. We rub shoulders with people who aren't living right. We rub shoulders with lots of non-truth or people that aren't living biblical lives, and it does change us at times. It does rub off on us at times. So today we're going to start off reading a pretty long section of Scripture. And that clock on the back wall is going crazy back there. I came the other day and I spent a couple hours here praying and I sat down to pray and I looked up and and it it had gone by 12 hours by that clock and it was really about an hour and a half. Um, So don't look at that clock. So today we're going to start off back in the beginning, um, Genesis chapter 2. One quick thing that I want to clarify in the bulletin before I forget there is two funerals this week, Mary Ellen's and Phyllis's. Phyllis is the second one listed there. Hers is on the 11th. I did send in a typo. Um, her visitation is 1230 on Friday, not 11. The family is at 11. Um, everyone after the family at 1230 funerals at 1. Just wanted to clarify that. There are notes on the back of the bulletin. Um, you may need help um, deciphering those. Um, We're going to get some more ink for the printer for next week. So today we're going to our Bibles. We're going to read a long section. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 2, verse 8, and we're going to read all the way chapter 3, verse 19. Now, this is a long section of Scripture, but this is a church full of people who love their Bibles. So if we just read the Bible the whole time, I know you guys would all be excited about that. So we're going to read verses 8 through 319. I'm going to start in in chapter 2. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it parted and became four river heads. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one in which skirts the whole land of Havalah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Bethlehem and the onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Jehon. It is the one which goes around the whole land of Cush. Verse 14, the name of the third river is Hedekel. It is the one which goes towards the east of Assyria. The fourth river is the Euphrates. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to tend it and to keep it. The Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat it, you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, it is not good that a man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called them, called each living creature, that was its name. Verse 20. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. And he slept and he took one of his ribs. He closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to a man and said, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Verse 24, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked and the man, excuse me, they were both naked, the man and his wife and were not ashamed. Chapter three, 
Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So the woman saw that the tree was good for food. It was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirous to make one wise. She took its fruit and ate. She also gave it to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Verse eight. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you're naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God says to the serpent, serpent, because you have done this, you're cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam, he says, because you have heeded the voice of your wife, have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. You shall eat the herb of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the gift of your word. Well, what a privilege it is this morning that we can read your word in our language. We have the ability to understand it. We can read it. You've gifted us with that. Lord, we thank you so much. Well, there's so many people around the world today who don't know how to read and write that cannot read their Bibles. Father, what a privilege we have, Father. But Lord, with that privilege, I know there's a great accountability for us that we, as your people sitting here this morning, that we are to know your word, Father. And not only know it, but Lord, we are to live it out, Father. So Father, I pray today as we look at uh, before the fall and after the fall, what this looks like in that marriage relationship. What's the husband's role, the wife's role? And Lord, I pray in the midst of all this, you would help us to just forget about all the things that we think we know. And we would just look at your word and say, like, this is truth. Your word is truth. This is what I need in my life. This is what, this is where I am going wrong or this is where my marriage is struggling, Father. Because I believe all with all that's in me, Father, you brought us to these verses. You brought us to this five-week section of preaching on the home, Father, because, because we need it, Father. So, Father, I pray you would make those changes in us, Father that you would help us this morning as we look into these verses, Lord, that we were reminded from last week, Lord, that we are to love you with everything. To 
love you with everything because of what you've done for us. Lord, we do pray your blessings on our time together. And I pray you would help me, Father, as I expound your word. Help me to say the the things you'd have me to say and nothing more. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So a lot happens in Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3. I mean, we don't get very far in our Bibles before things go off the rails. So we have to kind of look at this and see what's, what's going on here. So before the fall, we're going to start looking at what did it look like for Adam and Eve? What did it look like for them before sin happened? So if you turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2, look at verses 16 and 17. 16 and 17. The Bible says, the Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden you, sh- you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So before the fall, there was but one command, right? Just one. Does that sound nice? It's okay. It sounds wonderful, right? I mean, there's no sin at this point. I don't know about you, but the more I try to even picture what that looks like, I just can't. No sin, no death, no pain. None of those things. And, and, he, and God tells man, after he puts him in the garden, and it's interesting, in verse uh, 15, he says, God put the man in the garden to tend it and keep it. You know, there's this misconception in, in Christianity that work is part of the curse. Man was working before the curse. Right? God made us to be purposeful He made us to have something to do every day because apart from having something to do, a purpose in our life, we make a mess of ourselves. We really do. So there's this one command that they're supposed to do. But in verse 18, we see here that, hey, there's this this thing that God says here. And the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. Now, up until this point, everything had been good. Everything that God made was good. He was He rested on the seventh day like God was really pleased with everything that was happening up until this point. But he looks at Adam and goes, you know, Adam's alone. And every man in here can say amen to this verse, right? Like God said, it's not good for you to be alone. Amen, right? And and God says in verse, uh, he goes on and says, I'll make him a helper comparable to him. I'll make him a helper. We have to see in the Old Testament here in in Genesis chapter 2 that there is already a biblical order in the home. There is husband. There is Adam. Adam was made first. Uh, This isn't something that we designed. This is something God designed. And we have to appreciate what God has designed for the home. Amen? I'm really trying not to say that much today. Um, And my wife said nothing about that. So I think somebody counted. It was 21 last week, so we're going for 20 this week. (laughs) Anyway, so God saw that in Adam, something was missing, right? Not the relationship that he had with God. That was perfect. But he said, there was something else that Adam needed. He says, I'm going to make a helper a comparable to him, a helper fit for him, depending on the translation you look at. You help a comparable. In reference to the marriage relationship, God created woman to be a perfectly suitable helper to the man. This means God God gave the plan and agenda to Adam, and he and his wife would work together to fulfill that. Now, a couple things we don't see in Scripture here is Adam was told to tend the garden. We don't see that Eve was told to do that at all, right? That was his job, right? Her job was to help him, right? 
And I just want to ask you this morning, dear sisters, do you see your role as your husband's helper, as his completer, as the one who comes alongside him because God said he needed you? Like, do you see your role that way? Or is it, is it somewhat like our culture where it's a little different? Well, he's not going to tell me what to do, right? Our culture says you don't need a man. Our culture says you don't need to get married. Our culture says we don't know who boys or girls are, right? It just keeps getting worse. And we've got to quit looking out and look into God's word and say, okay, what does this really look like for me? What does this really look like for me as a man of God? What does this look like for my home? So before the fall, there was God's order. And we read in verse 21, Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. He slept, he took one of his ribs, he closed up the flesh in its place. Then the ribs which the Lord God had taken, the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman and he brought her to the man, right? He brings this, this beautiful, she's the most beautiful woman in the world, right? Right? And he's the most handsome at this point. And that's why he calls her, whoa, man, right? <laughs> He's like blown away by this. She's perfect for him. Now, brothers, you got to be able to think the same way about your wife. The Bible says in the Old Testament, in the book of Proverbs, that he that finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor of God. Like your wife is a gift to you. Now, there may be days you don't feel like she's much of a gift and you're ready to give her back. <laughs> but she is a gift, she truly is a gift, and we need to treat them as such. But you have this wonderful exchange where Adam, he's excited. This is now bone of my bone, he says. Flesh of my flesh. She'll she be called woman because she was taken out of man. And he goes on and says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, even though Adam didn't have a father and mother at this point, and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the one thing that I, wanna, I really want to point out in the midst of this before we have this fall is that Adam and Eve had this beautiful oneness that God wants in our marriage, right? Now, up to this point, there's no sin, so it's probably pretty easy to get there, right? Adam recognized she was called to be, she was made for him to be his helper. She recognized that. They walked together, and there was just something about them that couldn't be torn apart, that's the picture here. Now, we know in the, in the Bible that Jesus says what God has joined together, talking about our marriages, that let not man put asunder or tear apart. Like, God expects that our marriages are forever. Until death do us part, I guess you'd say. Uh, our marriages are to that point. Well, we live in a culture that doesn't get that. Do you know, um, of all the religions in the world, guess who has the highest divorce rate? evangelical Christians. You believe that? Um, Joe mentioned Catholics earlier. Catholics have one of the lowest. Evangelical Christians account for 14% of all divorces. That's the highest of any religion. How is that amongst God-fearing people who have all the answers that we have the highest rate of divorce among religions? Amongst evangelicals, the divorce rate is somewhere between 21 and 25%. This isn't the church globally. This is evangelical churches, churches who say they believe the word of God. And the reason why that number is as low as it is because more and more people are just living together inside the church. Anyway, 
sermon for a different day. So there was an order. She was brought to man. She was made for him. There was this unity. Um, how many of you guys have ever had an argument in your marriage? At least one, right? This weekend. Right? There was probably not even an argument yet. There was no sin. Like they had this all figured out because they had one command. So before the fall, the picture is this perfect relationship. So much so that they're naked before everything and like there was perfectly okay. There was no shame. There was absolutely nothing wrong with this scenario. They had this great relationship with God, which like that just seems like amazing that they could walk with God. They could hear his voice audibly. Like, this is an amazing time. Genesis chapter 2 is truly amazing. Truly amazing. But as we get over into chapter 3, things start to change. Now, the main focus in chapter 2 that I really want us to see is that God is a God of order. Adam was first formed, then Eve was made to be his helper. I can't say that enough because we need to be walking that out in our marriages. Come on, amen, right? At six, right there. We need that. Let's turn your Bibles to chapter three here. We're gonna look at what happens next, right? We have this perfect scenario, this perfect marriage, and now enters this serpent in verse one. Now, when you think about this, this serpent, we have to understand what we're up against, Right? And I'm not here to, to preach a message on the devil. I don't want to give him any more due than he is. But we do have to recognize that he hates us, right? He hates us. He hates you. He hates me. He, his expectation is that he wants to destroy everything that has anything to do with Jesus. Now, he ultimately knows his fate because the one thing that we'll learn here in Scripture is that he knows his Bible, right? He knows our Bible. I probably might know it better than you, better than me. And that he wants to destroy because he knows at some point that Jesus is going to eliminate, excuse me, take him out. And he wants you to go with him. We have to understand this, church. We have to understand that this devil, according to 1 Peter 5, 8, if you'll turn there quickly. Peter 5, 8 says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Because if you ever watch the Nature Channel, Discovery Channel, and you see over in Africa, my daughter um, Miriam is in Africa right now, and as she was traveling from the, the airport to um, the other side of Uganda, where she's staying with Joe and Lindsay, She had all these great pictures of giraffes and hippos and all these things they saw along the road as they went. Because I've ever seen these old nature shows where there's lions and they're trying to to make a kill. You guys ever see how they do that? They just run right in the middle of the pack and hope for the best, right? No, they don't do that at all. They just kind of wait along the edges. They wait for that weak, that slow one. Maybe that's a sickly one. and, And then they attack. And then they do it all over again. That's exactly what the devil wants to do in your life. He wants you to get to a place where you are weak, where you're slow. Maybe you don't spend in that time in the word of God like you need to. And you're, you're very vulnerable to him. 
where we don't know our word and he maybe comes and brings a temptation in our life and we give in to that. We have to be vigilant. We have to be sober because we have to recognize that he wants to destroy us. And I think for me, as we get into this, because you guys know we weren't raised in Christian homes. My wife and I are in our first generation Christians and we are desperately trying to raise a godly home. And we've made every mistake. We should probably write a book on what not to do at times. Right? We've made lots of mistakes. But it is our sincere desire that we want to raise a godly home. What starts with a godly marriage. Amen. It starts with a godly marriage. And we have to understand our roles because our children learn so much from us. The Bible says in John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and they may have life more abundantly. You have to understand that the devil wants again to destroy us. He does this in so many different ways. Remember, we're created in whose image? Yeah, God's image, right? And he does everything he can to make you discontent about the way God made you. My hair's not right. I'm too big. I'm too short. I'm too tall. I'm too handsome, right? Like I have that problem, right? Don't have enough hair. But we, we get very discontent about who we are. And then we try to do all these things to change us, right? We want to we wanna pierce ourselves to death. We want to do tattoos. We want to we color this and color that. We want to dress a certain way or not dress a certain way. We want to have hair that's some kind of craziness, right? Where God says we're made in his image and that's just enough, right? And we can just go on and, and live for his glory. We have got to quit taking the attention and placing it on us. It's one of the things that we do a terrible job in our culture because in our culture, we teach that everything is about you. You can be anything, right? You can go do anything. And there's some truth to some of those things, but we've got to take our eyes off of me and put them on the Lord like we talked about last week and say, Lord, what is it you have for me? Because I am your servant. As I love you with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, how do I go love others? Like, what does that look like? What does that look like for me? James 2.19 says, you believe that there's one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. Like those, those demons, the devil, they all understand their fate. And again, they want to destroy you. And, the, and one of the greatest ways the devil does, and we're going to look at that in chapter 3 of Genesis here in just a second, is he wants to twist God's word just a little bit. Right? And we, like sheep to the slaughter at times, if we don't know what our Bible says, it'll shake us to our core make us question everything about what's going on in our life, and it can even push us over the edge. And again, that's what he wants to do. So let's turn to our Bibles and look at Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to go back to chapter 2 actually and just read that command one more time in verses 16 and 17 of chapter 2. The Bible says that God made two great, excuse me, wrong chapter. That's chapter 1. Then the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it you shall surely die. So turn over to chapter 3 verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made, and the Lord said to the, uh, the uh, Lord and, and made, and he said to the woman, "Has God indeed said, "You shall not eat every tree of the garden?" Do you ever have those thoughts? 
that come to you where you question something you've read? Be honest, right? We've had those thoughts, right? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4 and 5, that for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God by pulling down of... Uh, uh, just lost my train of thought. Let me... Strongholds, thank you. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts against itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Thank you for ever helping me out with that. First two verses I ever memorized in Scripture, and I just blew it right there. But God says, or the, the devil says, is this really what God says? And the woman says to the serpent, verse 2, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, But the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, referring to that tree of good and evil, God has said you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it. Now, we just read that command a minute ago. Did she add to or take away? She added to, right? Now, I don't know about you, but uh, do we do that at times? God said this, and then sometimes we want to add a little extra to that. And then more often than not, actually, we, we want to take a little away from it, right? But she said, no, we're not, we're not supposed to touch it. And then the serpent says to the woman in verse 4, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So his question to her was, God really said these things. You know, the, the devil really wants us to doubt who God is to doubt his word? How can we look out into this world and not try to apply that to scripture? How do we not look out there and say, there's all these people. We have to say, you know what? God's word is true. God's word is true. Like we have to be able to stand on it and then go out into the world and share that love with the lost and dying generation. But we can't change the truth, right? I remember the, one of the times when we were, we first got to be a we came born again. We're in church. We're, we're Christians. We've been walking with the Lord for a few months now, and we're just trying to get our feet under us. And, you know, just I'd really never even heard the name of Jesus very often. And we were in this little Baptist church. And um, as you guys knew, I was driving a beer truck when I got saved. That's what I was doing for a living. And I was still driving this truck after I was saved and dealing with a whole lot of other things and not my job because it was the last thing on my list because I was a bucket of trouble, right? And there was a little lady in the church. Her name was Mrs. Jackson. And she was about this tall, right? Seriously. And she, was, she, had a, she had a red dress on one day, and she comes up to me after the church, and she points right in my face, and she says, Chris, you're the devil. And I said, well, how's that, Miss Jackson? She said, uh, driving that beer truck, what do you think you're doing? She says, you should go in there Monday morning and just quit and know that God will take care of you. Now, I look at that and go, I went to church with a whole bunch of guys and not one guy, including the preacher, ever said a word about what I was doing. But this little old lady, in her boldness, put her finger right in my face and told me that I was not living as I should. You know what? We need that sometimes, don't we? I know I did. And then the the crazy part was, is I already was walking that path. I was already thinking those thoughts and God did open a door in the next few weeks I was able to quit. Went to my boss and I said, hey, I'm, gonna, I'm quitting because I'm a Christian. And uh, I said, I, I can't do this. And he says, well, I'm a deacon in my church. What are you talking about? And I said, uh, I'm still quitting. I got to get out of here. So Eve had a choice to make. 
Let me ask you this morning, do you really know your Bibles? Do you know if you're listening on the radio and you hear someone preach a message and if they said something out of the way, would you recognize it? Would you? There's a lot of preachers out there. I mean a bunch. I call on pastors all the time. After talking with them, sometimes I don't want to go to their church to share about Serve India because they're not, in my opinion, where they need to be. I call a lot of churches and I ask for the pastor and a woman answers, right? Again, we've got to be careful. What does the word of God say? We cannot violate or push away from the truths of scripture. And I believe God has us in these scriptures because we've done this in our marriages. We've done this in our marriages. We, we get our roles so mixed up. We live in a culture where mom and dad are not even important anymore. We live completely for the kids, it's all about the kids, right? You're going here on Monday afternoon, Tuesday we're going here, Wednesday we're here, Thursday we're here, Friday somewhere else. There's no time for the family. There's no time for family devotions or family worship. Saturdays are spent at the ballparks all day, and then Sunday we stop for an hour and a half to come to church. Our homes are out of order at times. And again, I know that there's a lot of great, great families in here, and please don't, don't think that I'm picking on anyone in particular. I, I'm just... Uh, delivering what I believe God has for us right now. We've got to not doubt his word. You know, Barna has this wonderful study of how many born-again Christians in the U.S. read their Bibles on a daily basis. And it's not a pretty number. Over half the church doesn't read their Bible. Half the church, according to his statistics. Half the church of America, evangelical church, doesn't read their Bibles. So 16% roughly read their Bibles on a daily basis. So in this room of 200 people, 32 of you read the Bible every day. The rest of you, shame on you, right? We have to come to this point where we recognize, I need Jesus so much that I can't go a day without this. I can't go a day without going before my Lord and, and repenting because I've done things, asking for forgiveness, going to the word of God and asking for direction. Lord, help me to see which way do I go with this as I look into the word, praying together, having fellowship, being accountable. We need it. This is God's way. And a big part of that is now I have my wife, who's my helper, to come alongside me. And one of my favorite things about preaching is my wife spends extra time praying for me. This morning we had a nice prayer time in the car before we came in. It's such a huge blessing to me. I'm so thankful for a good, godly wife. Um, very thankful. Very thankful. So Eve has this choice to make. What am I going to do with what this, this devil is saying to me? What am I going to do with these, these things? James uh, 1, 13 through 15. If you guys want to flip over there quickly. The Bible says, James 1, 13, let no man say when he's tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away, hear this church, by his own desires, and enticed, that when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, to sin when it's fully grown brings forth death. This is exactly what's happening in Eve right here in chapter three. 
The devil's given her a proposition. Hey, look at that tree. Look at that fruit. It's, it's beautiful. God knows that the second you eat that, you're going to know good and evil. So she's thinking, it's not only good to eat, but like I'm going to know more. I can be like God. Remember, this is exactly why the devil was kicked out of heaven. He wanted to be like the Most High. The Bible teaches us in the book of Revelation that there was three archangels, Michael, um, I forgot the other one. Thank you, Gabriel and Lucifer. And when Lucifer was cast out of, out of heaven, him and a third of his angels came here to be with us, right? And that was his, his thing was pride, and now he is trying to do the same thing to Eve. So Eve has this choice to make. She has this wonderful choice to make. So the woman saw that, the verse, verse 6, that the tree was good for food. It was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. The, both, the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. This is exactly the path of sin in our own life. So we think about it. We think about it. We don't take those thoughts captive. We don't get rid of them. We don't replace it with something else. And the longer you think about bad things, eventually you're going to want to do those things. It goes from a, a thought to becoming a part of your heart, then it becomes an action, right? And it just happens that way. That's what the Bible is teaching us. And that's why we have to stop those things by recognizing the word of God and what the truth says so that we're able to, to push those things away as the devil comes to us with temptations we know that 1 Corinthians 10, 13 tells us that there's no temptation that's common to man that comes to us where there's not always a way of escape. We just got to open our eyes for it. But there's this thing in Christianity where we think that, you know what, I can just sin one more time. I can do that one thing just one more time. I can look at pornography on my phone one more time. I can, I can lie to my husband about how much money I've spent one more time. And it's okay, right? Because I can just ask for forgiveness. That is not how we should see our loving Heavenly, Heavenly Father. It's not how we should see Jesus and all that he has done for us. Amen? It's not something to be taken lightly. When we are forgiven, we should walk in that. We should walk in that. So because of this sin, because of what happened with Adam and Eve, their eyes were open. They recognized, hey, I'm naked. Let's go. We got to do something about this. So they sewed some little fig leaves. And later on, we're going to see where God actually makes coverings for them, right? When you see pictures of Adam and Eve and they're scandally dressed, know that that wasn't God's intention. He wanted to fully clothe them. And, and, and I really appreciate fully clothed people. Amen, right? Amen. But, but there was some result as as an effect of this fall. And I want to look at verse 16. Now, there's lots of things that happen as a result of the fall. We know that Adam is going to have to work hard. Sweat happens. All those, how many of you had to weed your garden this year? Right? You can thank Adam and Eve for that, right? That was part of the curse. These thorns, these thistles, those hot days, all that was part of that curse. But I want to focus on just one section of that, which is verse 16. The Bible says in uh, Genesis 3, verse 16, to the woman, he says, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Any women know about that? I was there for all eight of our births. Now, I'm, gonna be, I'm not going to lie to you. I think that's awful to do to a husband, to be in that room. 
I'm just going to say it. I, I love the days by my, when I was born, my dad was in the waiting room and when everything was done, he joined my mom and the baby. I think that's the way it should be. And to you kids who don't have babies yet, you'll know what I mean. It's tough, right? You see your wife writhing in pain like you know this is like the big deal. And there's absolutely nothing you can do as a husband to help her. That's the part that I was really challenged with. I can't do anything to help my wife other than pray that that baby just comes on, right? But part of that is the curse. Now, the second half of that, verse 16, which is where we want to focus this morning, your desire shall be for your husband. I put it in your bulletin, the New Lemon Translation, because it's a tough verse to translate. Because really in verse 16, um, the word there shall be is not even part of, they added that just for some understanding. It really reads your desire for your husband. So in, in, their, in your bulletin, I put the New Living Translation, which I think does a better job of this. And the New Living Translation translates verse 16 this way. Then he says to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy and in pain you will give birth and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. So we've got to understand, before the fall, it was beautiful harmony, right? There was no sin, husband and wife loving each other. Eve knew her role. He, Adam knew his role. They're walking with God on a daily basis. But now when we get on the other side of the fall, other side of sin, now they've recognized nakedness. We had a, a long discourse there and that we didn't cover just, to, we read it earlier, but we didn't just cover it where they're hiding from God, where Adam is uh, blaming God for the sin because of the woman that God gave him, right? Like that's crazy, And then Eve's blaming the serpent and not taking responsibility for their sin, which again just shows you how quickly sin takes over. So now we see this picture because of the curse, because of sin, now there's the different dynamic in our marriage. It once was perfect and peaceful. Now the Bible says that she's going to have a desire to control you as a husband. And then the next section of that verse says, and he will want to rule, uh, and he will want to rule not in love. All right, I'm sorry, he will, he will rule over you. And the way I read the second half of that verse, and we can disagree on this, but I, I believe in the second half of that verse, he's talking about men going above their authority, going beyond what really biblical leadership looks like. So I see for myself in this verse that a wife who wants to dominate her husband, and I see a husband who's gonna take it too far. Now, how many of you know that's true? Don't raise your hand. But we all should be able to, right? Every woman in here has probably struggled with wanting to control her husband. The Bible just says so. And there's probably not a husband in here who hasn't overruled his wife in a way that wasn't loving, right? Can we agree to that this morning? If we're really going to look at our homes, we've got to understand what it looked like before the fall, what happened as a result of the fall, and the struggles that's in the midst of this. Think about every argument you've ever had in your marriage. We just mentioned earlier we had at least one this weekend, right? It's because one or the both of you was being selfish, right? Is there ever any other reason? Right? I don't know about in my marriage, but I don't know about you, but I don't know that there's ever been an argument in our marriage that wasn't because Stephanie or Chris or both was just being selfish. Not wanting to walk where God has placed us. So this, this desire to control, it's the opposite of what we see in chapter two. And again, this is a result of sin. We know that sin comes with consequences. The Bible teaches us that we reap what we sow. If we're gonna sow to the flesh, we're gonna reap from the flesh or to the flesh. 
If we sow to the Spirit, we're also going to reap of the Spirit. So we have to recognize that God is a God of order. You know, we talked about the divorce rates and those types of things. You know, we see here in Genesis chapter two, and this is, again, something we have to solidify in our minds, even though I think most of us believe it, but we live in a culture that's trying to pull it from us is that there's only two genders. There's only two genders. You know, years ago when when same-sex marriage was legalized by the government, I thought, how much worse could it be, right? And look at us today. We stand in a culture where if a, five or six or a seven-year-old boy decides he wants to be a girl, that it's applauded. And then things happen that shouldn't happen from that. Our culture continues to slide, but the problem is, as the church somewhat slides with it, we bring a lot of that stuff in with us. And we've got to be the examples to those around us of what this truly looks like. I don't know about you, but this is a real challenge for me. Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I just want to look at a few more verses about God's authority, about God's uh, headship, male headship in the home. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This section is talking about head coverings. There's the Lord's Supper in here. There's lots of things going on. But the one thing that um, the Bible says in 11 verse 3, Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says, but I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Again, we've got to make sure that we understand that there is a biblical authority, right? It's God, then Jesus, then man, then wife. And if you sit here this morning, you say, well, Chris, I really don't like that. I hate to tell you, but you're the problem. Amen? You're the problem. If you're not willing to admit that, hey, God is a God of order, there is a way in which he wants our homes to be ordered, and wives... There's a role. Men, there's a role. We can't change that. We can't ask God to change that. The interpretation of Scripture is not different for your home than everybody else's home. It all should be the same. Amen, somebody, right? It should be the same. His way, not our ways. Turn to your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to read a few verses out of here, and we're almost done for the day. According to the clock, we've been at three hours already, so that's good. Again, I believe this, God has us in this section because he wants this to be foundational as we get into the next section. We're going to be in Ephesians 5. We're going to start in verse 22, read down through 27. And again, Paul is encouraging us to have that relationship outside of sin. How do we have that relationship outside of sin? That's when Jesus comes in. Amen? Jesus comes into our life. He forgives us. He changes us. He molds us. He makes us in his image. He fills us with his spirit. He's given us his word, and now he expects obedience from us to be able to walk in this. He gives us grace to walk in his word, the Bible teaches us. So the Bible says in Ephesians 5, verse 22, he says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wife be to their own husband in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he may sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Verse 27, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Holy and without blemish. 
we have this beautiful picture of restoring that relationship that was broken because of sin. That a wife is now back in that order where God originally wanted her to be. A husband is taking on his leadership role in love because of what Christ has done for him. Because there's a greater purpose in this, right? We as husbands and wives, we are God's billboard. Do you ever think about it this way? Everywhere you go, you are a picture of Jesus and his church. The husband being a picture of Jesus, the wife being a picture of the church. Where's the church apart from Jesus? Right? Where's the church apart from being submissive to our heavenly father? Where is it? It's not a church, right? Where's, where's a church without Jesus? Without a father, without a head, without someone to lead? What does that look like? Now, I know as we look at marriage and as we look at husband and wife relationships, there's people that sit here today that don't have a wife with them. They don't have a husband with them. They've made lots of uh, mistakes. Things have happened. Life has happened, right? What we have to ask ourselves is where are we today? How do we apply this today? And how do we move forward? And there's lots of different situations. And my wife and I, we come from those different situations. My parents divorced when I was 16. My wife was raised by a single, single grandmother. So we know what this was like. We know what it means to not have father figures. We know what it means not to have mother figures in your life. We know what it means not to have a family structure in your life. And that's why we're so passionate that we have to have this. This is God's way, church. It is. And it's what he expects from us. Just like we talked about yet yeah, last week, the answer is Jesus. And this isn't something that I want you to go home and say, okay, there's three more things that I need to do every day. That's not what I want you to see today. If we're truly gonna love the Lord with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength and love others as ourselves, we've gotta have a yielded heart. If you're gonna have a great and godly marriage, it comes because you have a yielded heart. A yielded heart to the Lord Jesus Christ for who he is and what he's done for you in your life. You can forgive your wife because you've been forgiven, amen? She can forgive you over and over and over again because she's been forgiven. God wants our marriages to be a picture of him and his church. This is an awesome responsibility, church. One that we all need to step up to the plate. And as we go through next week, looking at the role of the husband, the week after the wife and the children, be in prayer for that because we need this. We need this. So I put a challenge on the back of your bulletin. Would you pray, you and your wife, get the kids together as well if you can. Would you pray this week about God's order in your home? Would you pray, God help us to see, our, is our home out of order? Is there things in our life that we need to uh, remove? Is there ways in which we're not where we need to be as a husband and wife relationship? Because I believe that'll set us up for the next several weeks. Don't have to raise your hand, but hopefully quite a few of you will accept that challenge. Amen. Well, that's all I have this morning. It's reminding us of our failures because of the fall. Recognizing the devil wants to destroy us. Recognizing he wants to pull away from, from God's word and make us justify ourselves where we're at versus where Jesus really wants us to be. If you guys want to stand, we'll pray together, and then we'll have a, a benediction.
One thing that I want to remind the church, please we continue to pray for Merlin and Heidi and the family as they head off on their journeys. Just continue to remember um, them and safety and all that goes along with that. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. Lord, we thank you that you are victorious, Father. That as we, as we discussed earlier, the, the devil and how he can tempt us and all those things, well, Lord, we know that he has no power above you. Lord, that you are all powerful. And Lord, that, that in Christ, we are able to say no to him. That in Christ, we're able to uh, look to you for our strength. We're able to look to you for our encouragement. And we're able to say no to those temptations, Father, knowing that you've always made a way for us to get out. But Lord, there's a seriousness of the gospel. And Lord, you brought us to these, this series of messages, Father, because there's a seriousness as we seek to follow you that we must follow. We don't get to pick and choose, but Lord, there's a way in which you expect your church to look. And that's all broken down into families, a husband and wife and children. What does that look like? The, the place where your gospel is to be discipled, a place where the great commission is supposed to go forth from, Father. So Lord, I just pray you would mold us and make us in your image in our homes. I pray you would challenge us this week. Give us those moments where we can talk as husbands and wives and children, Father, about the order in our home. What does that look like? Where are we at with that? And Lord, I pray you would help us to be mindful of the weeks to come and the, and the depth of these uh, roles with husbands and wives and children and where your journey, where this journey has taken us, Father. And Lord, I pray in the midst of all this, you would remove anything uh, that was me, but the stuff, the stuff that is you, Lord, I pray you'd bring strong conviction. Strong conviction, Father. Lord, we thank you. We love you. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen.